the Lord. Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We're going to spend a couple of weeks in the Psalms. This morning, we're going to look at a Psalm of praise, and next week, we're going to look at a Psalm of thanksgiving. And um, we just finished our series on core, and, uh, and we are well on our way um, into the Christmas season, and we haven't even celebrated Thanksgiving yet, and uh, I love it. Uh, I told my son, he, we, we like to uh, go to, um, well, we don't like to, out of necessity, we go to Home Depot. Some of you probably like to go to Home Depot. I'm not one of those men. And, uh, but uh, Home Depot has all these really like scary decorations that, that go up during uh, Halloween. And so he, he notices, he pays attention to those things. And so we went in uh, this past weekend and uh, all the Christmas uh, decorations are out. And he asked me where the, uh, the scary decorations were, and I, and I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what, the, the Christmas decorations ran off the scary decorations. And, uh, and isn't that true of what Christ Jesus does, right? He, he comes, and, uh, and he takes everything bad, and he makes, it, he makes it good. He makes it lovely. And so Psalm 145 is where we're going to camp out. And um, in this psalm, really, if you're familiar with it, it, uh, it follows several psalms of, of prayer, and uh, in this particular psalm is, is the only psalm that's labeled as a psalm of praise. Uh, the, the psalms contain um, much about praising the Lord, but this is the only one that actually uh, is ascribed a song of praise, if you see in your Bibles, a song of David, and um, <clears throat> and. Like Psalm 119, it kind of acrostically follows uh, the Hebrew alphabet. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look through these 21 verses, and we're going to make three observations and, uh, and ask for the Lord's help along the way. And so Psalm 145, this is David, King David, the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, praising the Lord. He says this, I will extol you. My God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I'll praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I'll declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are failing, falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand 
You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and He saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come again this morning and we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we have a template of of how to praise you. God, we thank you for the ability to be able to praise you, God. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you would remove distractions that would prohibit us from praising you as we hear from your word. I pray that Christ would be exalted, that your gospel would be clear, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work even now and shape us and fashion us and build us for eternity in eternity of praising you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, uh, and there are notes in your bulletin, the first thing that I'd have you see is is that praising the Lord uh, is the joy of His people. Praising the Lord is the joy of His people. And we see that in the first three verses. But listen to this first verse, this possessive determiner, if you will, in verse 1 in this passage. David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. The psalmist David here says that, that he will raise up, that he will exalt, that he will, he will lift high his God and his King. He, he's, he's in possession of his King because his King is in possession of him. The Lord is in possession of him, and, and, and praising God as many of you know, is, is something that only his people can do. It's something that, that only a Christian can do. In fact, praising God is this, is this gift from God that brings Christians pleasure. It should bring us pleasure. It's, that's, how we see it, that's how we see praising the Lord in Scripture, at least, at bringing pleasure. We don't see it as this, this, this drag. We don't see it as some monotone or cold, or clinical, or, or sterile form, or, or even this just stoic, if you will, um, type of worship. We see it as the, the pinnacle of happiness, really, and I think happiness, in the, in particularly in our Christian culture, kind of gets a bad rap. Happiness isn't bad when happiness is grounded in Christ Jesus. Praising the Lord should bring us happiness, should bring us Pleasure. It's not found in, in temporal things such as possessions or, or health or any, anything really this side of eternity. It's grounded in our exalted God. It's grounded in our exalted King. And David says, my God, my King. Now a question that, that I ask of this passage that, that many of you may be asking is, is how do we have joy? in praising the Lord. 
how do we have joy in praising the Lord? And, and that's especially important because it's, it's, it's something that we're going to be doing for all eternity. Praising is something that's never going to cease. We're just ramping up. We're just getting started in praising our Savior this side of eternity. This is, this is a forever kind of thing. Verses 2 and 3 shed light on that. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. But there's some of you in this room that may not feel the joy. There's some of you in this room that may be wrestling as, as you're praising the Lord, and, and some of you in this room have been Christians for a while, and your prayer may be that of, of Psalm 51. If we were to flip over earlier in the Psalms, 51.12, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's also David. So we have David in Psalm 145 praising the Lord and it's his joy to do so. And we have David in Psalm 51 here asking, praying, crying out to the Lord that he would restore his joy. Restore the joy of your salvation. And so how do we have joy in praising the Lord? And I, and I think the answer is, is, is found ultimately in the gospel, but we, we need to tease that out a bit. Uh, just a moment ago, I said that, that even having the ability to praise the Lord is this gift from God himself. And I, I think both people inside the church and outside of the church really have this, this misunderstanding, this misconception of what praise is. The, the word praise in this passage, uh, particularly uh, verses 2 and 3, it's to be boastful. You could, you could kind of jot that down next to the word praise, boastful. It's this, this boastfulness, if you will, that, that comes from the inside out. It's a boastfulness that's kind of this overflow. It's this outward boasting, and it's indicative of, of this inner transformation of our souls. This, this outward boasting is indicative of this inner transformation of our souls. It's this overflow. Again, the, the, the psalms of praise, it's no coincidence that this psalm of praise here in Psalm 145 is following uh, psalms of prayer. It's following some psalms of prayer. It's, it's, and, 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 I, and I think that's important because communion with God, our communion with God is going to overflow. It's going to lead to a praise of God. Our communion with God naturally goes there. What, what is in your soul, your inner man, which is what you pay attention to in those quiet moments that you're spending with God, is going to come out. It's going to come out. I was reading just this week um, uh, in, a, in a particular book that I'm going through right now that, um, that, that spent some time talking about um, how we have a slip of the tongue, right? Man, you, you startled me. I didn't mean to say that. That just came out. Or, uh, you know, or there, you know there's, there's, there's things that we kind of word vomit and we wish that we could take back after giving it more consideration. And the author of this book talked about how that's actually revealing our interior lives. Because what we're saying is, without thinking, this is what comes out. But when I have some time to cover it up, when I have some time to not actually showcase who I really am, those are the moments that, that, uh, that I'm, that's the moments that I kind of display self-control, if you will. Does that make sense? And praise for us, 
should just be this outward expression. It should be as natural as breathing for the believer because of the, the, what's going on on the interior of our lives. Again, that doesn't mean that our circumstances and things that we're going through and things that we're experiencing are, are always easy and we, we're just walking around like we, we don't have these emotions that the Lord has given us. But Christians do have the capacity by the power of the Holy Spirit to worship even in the midst of, of dark times, to praise even in the midst of dark times. But we're to be boastful. Right? And so this inner transformation of our soul that overflows into, into the, 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 the praise of God is, is really, as we're cooperating with the Spirit, it's the sovereign work of the Spirit of God. It's the, this praise of God that's stirred up inside of us and overflows or spills out of us in, in singing and in prayer and in conversations. And this holy life is something that's gifted to us by God's Holy Spirit. Listen to how the Apostle Paul burst into to praise as he writes to the church of Ephesus in, Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. I think it's up on the screen, starting with verse 3. Paul says, praise right out of the gate. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's praise right there, right? Now, now, now we need to ask, why, why is there praise? Why, why is Paul compelled to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? He goes on, and this is why. He says, the Lord has blessed us. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We just finished singing about that a moment ago. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise, is that word, of his glory. And then he challenges us, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then here it is again, to the praise of his glory. We have much to be thankful to God about, right? We have a reason to praise the God of the cosmos. Right? Paul is praising God because according to Ephesians 1, the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Father, according to Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption. In Jesus, according to Ephesians 1, we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Jesus, we have lavish spiritual blessings from the Father. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're sealed. And we're guaranteed this inheritance that we haven't earned, right? This inheritance that's given to us because of Christ Jesus alone. We're sealed with it until the day when God in Christ Jesus makes everything new. We're sealed. So Paul's praise and the psalmist's praise, it's, it's a natural response to this glorious gospel. Right? This glorious gospel that we come... Uh, Daniel said it just a minute ago. I, I think you were praying it, Daniel, but uh, I don't know if you caught it or not, that we're, we're singing about this glorious gospel and we're singing to God, but we're also singing to one another. You ever thought about singing that way? All right, we're singing to one another, and I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes, and as we sing to one another, we're saying, remember the glorious gospel. Remember, brother, remember, sister, the glorious gospel of grace and give praise to God. So it's a natural response. It's a natural response to inner transformation. It's a natural, natural response, praise is, to a heart that's been captivated by the gospel. But there, there are enemies, aren't there? there? There are enemies that rob us of joy. There are enemies that rob us of, of the joy that we find in praising our Lord. And I just want to mention a few of those enemies so that we can be watchful, watchful, so that we can be vigilant. The first enemy is for those of you who aren't in Christ. It's not being in Christ. Right? You don't enjoy praising the Lord or worshiping the Lord or, or pursuing Him because you're not in Christ. You don't even have the capacity or, or the desire to praise God because according to the Scriptures, according to Ephesians chapter 2, if you were to flip over, the Scriptures say that you're dead in your trespasses. Not that you're barely hanging on. Not that you're on life support. It says that you're dead in your trespasses and, and you need a new heart. You need the Holy Spirit of God to awaken you from death to life. You need the heart of stone that we have apart from the intervening work of the Lord that Ezekiel prophesies about. And we need to be given a heart of flesh that desires God. You need Jesus to save you. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian in this room, Jesus is so much better than what you're settling for. Jesus is so much better than what you think you have is good, the the thing that you're clinging to. Christ is so much better. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so you need to be in Christ. And so you need to forsake your sin. You need to embrace Christ Jesus. That's, that's That's the first enemy to praising God, to finding joy in praising God. Second, if you're a Christian, sin robs you of your joy to praise God. Sin robs you of that. I quoted Psalm 51.12 just a second ago. Again, it's David, just like David is the, the author of, of, of Psalm 145. He, he penned Psalm 51. He said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That prayer to the Lord is from David after David had been confronted by Nathan regarding his sin with Bathsheba, committing adultery, and regarding him having Uriah, her husband, move to the fiercest part of the battle so that he could be killed. David, in effect, murdered Uriah. This is a man after God's own heart right here. 
This is a man after God's own heart. And, and, and because of these sins, he, he developed this callousness on his, in his inner man. He developed this, this just being deceived by sin, kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 3. And, and this sin stole David's spiritual vitality. It stole it. And, and he asked the Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And some of you this morning, you're, you're indulging sin. You're, you're in unrepentant, habitual sin. Those sins that, that when you first came to Christ, you forsook and embraced Jesus, you never really dealt with on the inside. Maybe the outside there appears to be some self-control, but on the inside there's just this raging going on of these these unmortified lusts, these unmortified lies, these unmortified this unmortified anger that's going on on the inside and it needs to be addressed. You have to address those sins and you and you can do so in some very practical ways. First, you need to confess your sins to God. You don't need to minimize them. You need to confess them as the vulgar, um, uh, the vulgar, sharp-edged, um, death-causing sins that they are. Psalm 32, this is a Psalm of David again, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. He said, when I kept silent, when David didn't confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand, speaking of God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then there's a shift. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And some of these words probably describe where some of you are that don't have this joy that you think you should have. It seems like you're you, you can identify with your bones feeling like they're wasting away. You can identify with the groaning all day long. You can identify with being just having the sleeplessness day and night, God's hand being heavy on you, your strength being dried up as if it, it's, it's this tremendous drought in your life. Chances are it's sin that's doing this, and it's the Lord making you miserable so that you'll repent. Isn't that a gift? And so you need to confess your sins to the God who's faithful to hear your confessions and forgive the iniquity of your sins. Secondly, you need to, need to meditate on Christ, not focus on your sin too much. Right? I just told you you need to focus on your sin. Now I'm telling you not to focus on your sin too much. That's, that's pretty clear, right? Now, if you, if you focus, here's the danger a lot of times. If you focus on your sin too much, you run the risk of making your repentance an idol the same way that your sin was an idol. Does that make sense? And so, in, in repentance isn't our highest aim in life. Pharisees looked real good on the outside, didn't they? But repentance isn't our highest aim in life. Christ is our aim. Christ is our aim. And so, um, and I think I've said this before, but uh, 
One author says, for every one sin that you meditate on, that you think on, that you're, you're directing your energies toward mortifying, think of Christ ten times. Think of Christ ten times. We need to think on Christ more. We need to think on Him by reading His Word. We need to replace our obsession with sin with an obsession with Christ Jesus. We need to think on Jesus by memorizing His Word. We can think on Him by speaking to Him. We can think on Jesus by speaking about Him. So we need to meditate on Christ. Our thoughts need to be lifted to the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and ruling and reigning. Pay attention to your soul. Are, are you feeding your soul with the word? Are you feeding your soul with prayer? Are you feeding your soul with the ordinances as you partake of the Lord's Supper, as you see people profess Christ and they follow through with believer's baptism? Are your thoughts lifted to Christ when you partake in those things? Are you invested in community? Do you see this not just as something you're doing as an isolated Christian, but you're coming here, this is corporate worship, linking arms with other believers, declaring that Christ is king over all things, my God, my king, our God, our king. Or is your soul unhealthy? Is your soul unhealthy? Is, is your diet spiritual junk food? Is it, the, or is it fleeting, entertaining pleasures? Is that what you're committed to? Or is it a serious, is your soul serious and devoted to the, to the Lord? There's one other aspect that can, that can hinder the praise of God being our joy. And that's immense suffering. Right? Immense suffering. Suffering can, can knock us off balance the same way that, that, that Peter was knocked off balance by the waves when he should have been gazing at Jesus, right? Suffering can, can really um, hinder our joy in the Lord. The beauty is Jesus, he was present with Peter when the waves were crashing, right? He was present there. Jesus, he's present in, 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 in our sufferings. I've said this before, but, but suffering is is Christ-like. It's a Christ. we, we shouldn't desire to suffer. We shouldn't be praying, God, let me suffer, let me suffer, let me suffer. But suffering does come, and you're going to experience suffering, and, and chances are you've all suffered immensely in some shape, form, or fashion. But to suffer is to be like Christ. To suffer is to identify with something that Christ did in his earthly ministry. It is. I was reading uh, Hebrews this week, and, and one particular verse always stands out to me in Hebrews 5. Um, it's Hebrews 5, verse 8. <clears throat> and I think, do we have this on the screen? Um, although, we may not have it up there, but it says, Although he was a son, yeah, he learned obedience, speaking of Jesus, through what he suffered. Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The author of Hebrews, he's not saying that Jesus didn't know obedience. He's not saying that, that Jesus was disobedient uh, until he suffered. What he's saying is that Jesus in his humanity, he really was human and had human experience. He was more human than we'll ever be, 
um, and had human experiences like we do, um, but an ordinary way that people learn obedience is through suffering. And so in his humanity, Jesus learned obedience the same way we learn obedience through suffering. Suffering ages us. Suffering, if processed right, helps us draw near to the Lord and, and, um, and helps us um, to conform more into the image of Jesus Christ. And what we have to do is cultivate the perspective that God really does use suffering in our lives to help us be more obedient to Him, to help us be conformed more into the image of Jesus, to help build us for all eternity. It's not meaningless suffering that you're experiencing. What you're going through this side of eternity isn't just, uh, isn't just some, some random thing that's happening to you. There is something behind it that the Lord can take and make one of the most difficult seasons of your life. He can, he can redeem that season um, and, uh, and, 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 and draw you closer to himself. And so we have to cultivate that perspective. So in our suffering, we, we declare some things. We declare that, that, that we're solely dependent on the Lord. Right? We, we, we declare and we confess that our lives and our circumstances really are out of our hands. And, and when we do things like that, when we have this proper perspective, the invitation from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 particularly becomes quite clear to us. Matthew 11, you guys know this, verses 28 through 30, Jesus invites his disciples, come to me, all who labor and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And certainly we can apply we can apply everything we just went through to that. We can apply our sins to that. We can apply a call to the unbeliever of, man, you need to lay your sins at the feet of your risen Savior. And certainly we can apply that to suffering. These burdens of suffering that we carry this side of eternity, Jesus says, they're mine, give them to me. Give them to me. And in processing our sufferings in this way, it, help, it helps us to praise God. It helps us to praise God even in dark times. And it helps us to see that in those dark times that we're not the ones hanging on to the Lord, but He's the one hanging on to us, right? And that leads to number two. I'll try to get through number two faster than I just got through number one. My bad. Um, number two, praising the Lord by remembering His faithfulness is a comfort to us. Praising the Lord by remembering His faithfulness is a comfort to us. We see that in verses 5 to 7 and, and verse 10. On, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then verse 10 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints bless you. So we have David here. He speaks of, of God's wondrous works. He speaks of God's uh, mighty deeds. He speaks of God's abundant goodness. And, and, and these are actions of God that David commits himself 
to remembering, to meditating on, to thinking on, and, and, and remembering God's past faithfulness really will spill over into just this heart of gratitude, this heart of, of praising the Lord. And, and that's part of what we do on Sunday mornings, right? We come again, we come and we remember God's faithfulness. We remember God's faithfulness by reading scriptures together. We remember God's faithfulness by praying together, by singing together. And we, we are reminded of God's faithfulness as we hear the preaching of the Word. We, we actually come together every Lord's Day and we remember that Jesus is King and that He's faithful. What we're coming together and we're doing, and it's good for us to do that. It really is good for our souls to be here. And I'm preaching at the choir. You know that because you're here. You've made a commitment to be here. You know being here is good for your souls. You know that you're prone to forget God's faithfulness, so you come to be reminded. We serve a faithful God. We serve a God whose kindness, Romans 2, 4, whose kindness leads us to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. We have to be vigilant to remind ourselves of that. And so this morning we come, and every Lord's Day we come, and we say, Lord, we're forgetful. Remind us. We're forgetful. Remind us. We have some Christian neighbors in our neighborhood <clears throat> And when my son and I are out walking and, and we see them, we're always sure to speak to them. Um, and that's not exactly right. My son is sure to speak to them, and then he drags me into the conversation. But um, we always ask them, how, how are you doing? How, how are things going? And they always respond with the same thing. We're blessed. We're blessed. And I'm like, this is so annoying. How are you really doing? We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. And and in one sense, I think that they do that um, as a, a, a witness, and, and they probably weird out all of our unbelieving neighbors by doing it. It's fantastic. Um, but I began to think also, the more I thought about their commitment to telling me they're blessed, they're blessed, they're blessed, um, I thought maybe for them it's also a discipline. I've never asked them that, and, and maybe I should ask them that, but... Um, but maybe it's a discipline. I wonder if they're committed to saying that they're blessed because they understand how prone we are to forget how blessed we are. Maybe, the, maybe there's, there's more logic behind that than what I, um, I think there is. Right? We really are blessed, aren't we? We really are blessed. The second person of the Trinity came as a man, for the purpose of, of seeking and saving the lost, leaving the 99 to find the one. The God of the universe has committed himself through Christ Jesus to sinful, broken people. The God of the universe has given us his spirit who lives inside of us, this same spirit that bodily and eternally resurrected our Savior from death to life. And we can have confidence that we too will go from death to life. We're blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. And this Holy Spirit that lives inside of us not only guarantees that we'll spend an eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord, but He's also a present comfort to us. 
He comforts us. During those dark and dry seasons of life, we, we are reminded by God's Holy Spirit of God's past faithfulness. It's the Lord who's our shepherd. Right? It's the Lord who lays us down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. I love that vivid picture in Psalm 23. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd, David declares. He said, because of that, I, want, I don't want for anything. I don't need anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures because I'm not going to do it myself. He leads me beside still waters because apart from that, it's nothing but chaos. It's nothing but chaos. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his own namesake. And it's good that it's in his namesake because it's, we can have a surety and have confidence that he'll always lead us in paths of righteousness. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, some of you are there this morning. And have confidence and fear no evil. The Lord, our shepherd, is present even there. He's present even there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is someone experiencing <clears throat> suffering who's reminded of God's faithfulness and is comforted by it. Third, finally, praising the Lord for His unchanging character is evangelistic. It's evangelistic. Verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another. Right, there's this passing on, if you will, and shall, shall declare your mighty acts. And then look, drop down with me to verse 11. Look at verses 11 through 21. They shall speak or open their mouths of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Verse 12, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom, I love this, is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. Our God has dominion and nothing's going to thwart that. Amen? The Lord is faithful in all His works and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near, get this, to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth, He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. It's the natural overflow of praise, evangelism. How about that? Right? Our praise of the Lord, this heart that's captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, our praise to the Lord is outwardly contagious or at the very least, it's noticeable. It sticks out, right? 
And again, I think that's one of the reasons why my neighbors are quick to say that they're blessed. It's a, a conversation starter, if you will, with unbelieving neighbors. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but unbelievers don't use the word blessed. That's a very churchy, weird word. And so, um, just as you're, you're talking to people who don't know Christ, anticipate having to explain what blessed is. Because blessed implies that there's someone who's the giver of that blessing to you, right? And so I think that's one of the reasons why my, unbelieving, or my, my believing neighbors do that. In fact, when I first met them, they came to my house and they brought a pie. They knocked on the door. Uh, they tried to evangelize me <clears throat> over cake. And, um, and then when they realized that I was a Christian, they had me stand on my front door and they pointed out all the houses in the neighborhood of people who aren't Christians. And they said, we've been working on these houses. And they were invited, they were uh, energized to invite me into that work. And, um, and so their, their commitment to tell our neighbors of the goodness of Jesus, that, that is the natural, um, I want to say conclusion, but that's just a, 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 a part of the journey of praise. Real, genuine, authentic praise naturally leads itself to being evangelistic. It can't help but do that, man. You're so enamored for who God, because of who God is for you in Christ Jesus that, man, why would you keep that silent? Why would you hoard that? Why would you keep that to yourself? Being a person that praises God not only brings Him glory, but it exalts Him and it declares that He has authority over the earth. His authority. And think about this. This is just a side note. Our praising the Lord, it doesn't make him praiseworthy. Our praising the Lord doesn't make him praiseworthy. It doesn't make him more glorious. Our worship of him, it doesn't, doesn't add anything to him that, that he needs because our God doesn't need anything and nothing can be improved on him. Our praise of God in his faithfulness is a declaration of what's already true. No, our praising of Him, it doesn't make anything true or present that wasn't there before. It's, it's Our praising of Him is a gift, and it's a gift that He's given to us, and it's a witness to our neighbors and to the nations. And we're joyfully praising the fact that Jesus is King. Not that, that we're electing Him to be King. Jesus is King. Jesus is is ruling. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is the only way to have peace with God. Jesus is the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the Savior. He's the sustainer. And when we praise in this way, there's a world, an onlooking world, that sees that. And not only do they see that, but the sovereign Lord of the universe is faithful to awaken their hearts through our worshiping of the Lord. He is. So authentic praise is evangelistic. It's just the overflow of someone who finds their joy in worshiping the Lord. We invite other people to come into our joy. One pastor said it best that, when we call men to repent, men and women to repent, we call them to their joy. So we're actively inviting people to share in our joy of praising our Savior. So praising the Lord is the joy of His people. Praising the Lord for His past faithfulness is a comfort to us. And praising the Lord is evangelistic. You go to the Lord in prayer with me.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of praise. God, we have much, much to be thankful for, Lord. And so help us remember, help us to remember even now, God, of your faithfulness, God, your steadfast love that endures forever. So we are humbled by the glorious gospel. And we worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, you would like to spend some time this morning just responding through prayer, we have a praying, uh, prayer team. Would you raise your hands if you're on the prayer team? Just people that are kind of scattered um, that would love to spend time praying with you, talking to you about the gospel. Utilize them. Pray with them. Um, they are there uh, for your edification. And um, and. With that, I'll turn it over to the team, and we're going to sing 10,000 Reasons. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, would you guys stand with us?